Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 246 of Dogcast Radio, which is our feel-good December episode. Don't worry if you're listening to this in a month other than December, it'll still cast its feel-good spell on you because dogs work their magic at any time of year. Coming up, we have the wonderful Carolyn Menteith discussing research done by Tales.com into changes in the dog world in the past two years. Most dogs are exactly the same as we are. They're selectively social. So, you know, like us, we have our friends and our families and the people that we want to interact with and we want to, you know, have fun with or talk to or have conversations with or, you know, go to the pub with or whatever. But that's actually quite a small group. We don't want to go to a supermarket and have everybody in the supermarkets bouncing up to us and wanting to hug us and, you know, stroke our hair and like, you know, let's go for a drink. I'm sorry, I don't know you. Before that, we have the equally wonderful Jess Stone, who is embarking on an adventure which makes me feel quite inadequate. Jess and her husband Greg love riding bikes, and they love their dog, Moxie. They also love empowering women and girls, and all those worlds came together in an amazing project, which will see Jess, Greg and Moxie riding through five continents, raising a lot of money for Girl Up. It's going to be amazing, but there's a daunting amount of preparation going on. Well, I would find it daunting. But Jess, well, Jess is thriving, as you'll hear. I'm talking today to Jess Stone. Hi, Jess. Hi. Hi, Julie. Hi. And um, it's earlier where you are and it's late afternoon where I am. So that's worked out OK because I'm not a morning person. I hope you are. <laughs> I am. I am. I very much am. Excellent. Excellent. So, and you're at home on a motorbike, aren't you? That's where you sort of like to, to be now. Exactly. You're in Guatemala, so which I couldn't find on a map myself. I'm, my geography is hopeless. I've said this before. <laughs> it's hopeless. So it's a good job I could find you via Zoom. There you go. So tell me, what inspired the move to Guatemala? Guatemala has been on our list for a, a long time. So uh, my husband and I, we were international aid workers. We actually met in South Sudan. Um, in 2012. Yeah. Um, we met there when we were working as international aid workers, and uh, we decided that we uh, we wanted to stay together, and my husband got a job in Liberia. We moved there, and soon after, he told me that he was planning to do a long motorcycle trip. He's from Los Angeles. Uh, he wanted to do a Los Angeles to Panama, or he had done a Los Angeles to Panama trip on his motorcycle years ago, um, sort of ran out of money in Panama and said he always wanted to complete the trip. So that would be from L.A. to Alaska and then back down to Chile. So he said he told me this soon after we met and said he's going to be doing this and he's fine if I come along, but he won't ride with me on the back. I have to learn how to ride a motorcycle. Oh, wow. <laughs> And so I, I wasn't ready to, to give up on this relationship. And so we went ahead and we bought little sport bikes in, in Liberia and he taught me how to ride. And from there, we were there for about a year. Um, I didn't have much mileage under my belt on that small bike, but we soon moved back to Los Angeles where we got the BMW motorcycles that we ride with still now. And we did the trip. We did it from Los Angeles up to um, up to Whistler. We didn't get to Alaska because yeah. it got quite cold. Oh. And then we went all the way down to Chile. Um, so that was an eight-month motorcycle trip that we did together. Yeah. 
and that's, we there's two, sorry there's two tests there for a relationship first of all teaching you to ride the bike because like when i whenever i've been involved learning or teaching anybody to learn to drive it's it's we've come home not speaking to each other a lot so that's a real test of a relationship well and, that, and the exact, journey, that yeah. actually happened but that actually happened so my husband isn't the best teacher or at least not to me mm-hmm. uh so there were times where i i sort of dug my heels in i wasn't comfortable i wasn't ready to go onto the main road and he thought that i was ready to go so what he would do is he would start walking he would walk back to our house and he would leave me there so that i would have to follow him onto the main road and so i was down exactly exactly i would go in like first gear and he'd be beside me he'd walk beside me and like that was the best that i could do at that time because i was just so anxious about it but yeah yeah, i would not want him to teach me anything else again (laughs) that was a learning experience excellent but so you stay together that's really good we did yeah and and, and then so uh, so so after yeah so after chile we we um we shipped the bikes back to los angeles and then we moved to uh to uh, new orleans and we were there for about two years and it was at that time at that two-year sort of mark where we realized we've been in the states for quite a long time Um, And it's we're ready to move back overseas. And my husband, he got a job working with a women's nonprofit, a microfinance nonprofit um, here in Guatemala, Mm -hmm. uh, where we are right now. So that was what initially brought us back down here, because when we passed through on the trip, we absolutely loved Guatemala, the people and the colors and just the culture here. We just really fell in love. So it was a place that we knew that we wanted to come back to. And when Greg got that offer to come out here, we said, "Okay, let's do this. So we left after two years of being in New Orleans and we rode our motorcycles down and we are now here in Panajachel, uh, which is um, we're right on Lake Atitlan and we're surrounded by three volcanoes. So it's an absolutely beautiful place wow but you've got to keep your eye on those volcanoes just in case (laughs) these ones are dormant at least i think guatemala has something like 23 or 28 volcanoes and i think that there's a a handful of them that are still active but yeah the ones here are dormant that you can actually hike and you can climb so it's very cool wow (laughs) you are you're a brave woman (laughs) but we know that we know that from what this will become apparent as we're going through so then you you're there so how did you meet Moxie? I wanted a dog forever. Um, when I was, uh, so I'm from Toronto. I grew up in Toronto mm-hmm. and uh, my neighbors were Sharpay breeders. Oh, um, so they had Sharpays. And so as a child, I always grew up with, with their dogs, basically. My parents were very against it. They were Aww. very Swiss, very much like, no, you were we're not having a dog in this house. I said, okay, fine. And uh, so we would go over to our neighbors every weekend and we'd be there with the dogs and uh, just always loved them. But because of my, my job and being in an international development, I would move every six months to a year. So it was just, wasn't feasible to, to have a dog with yeah. me. So when we came to Guatemala, um, we sort of decided that we were going to um, stay here for longer than a year is what we were sort of expecting. And at that point I would, I looked to Greg and I was like, now is the time let's, let's get a dog now uh, where we were living in this beautiful place. It would be a great time to get one. And so uh, there was somebody, an American man who lived on the other side of the lake and he had brought his two German shepherds from the States um, and brought them into Guatemala. And he was, he, he had the first litter um, of those, of those, uh, those, those puppies there. 
And it was a mix between the mother is a working line shepherd and mm -hmm. the father is a show line. So Excellent. it was, it's an interesting, it was an interesting mix. And yeah. the key, um, they, I think the litter was, I think they had 10. Uh, and we went, he, he was advertising that they were, he was selling them because a lot of people here like German shepherds for security. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very, as a, as a larger breed dog, they seem to really like them here. So we went over and took a look and I fell in love, not with Moxie. I actually fell in love with another puppy that was there in the litter. Yeah. Uh, and we called her White Paw because she had a, a little white spot on her paw. Absolutely loved her. Yeah. But when we were in there with them, White Paw couldn't care less about me. Aww. She would run the other way. She, like, I loved her for her looks, but from personality, she just yeah. was not attached to me. Meanwhile, I had little Moxie, like, jumping on my lap, and Aww. she was there with me. And it was it was that typical thing like you don't choose the dog the dog chooses you yeah, yeah. and uh, Greg and I looked at each other and said this is the one uh, and that's how we got little Moxie and she was uh, nine weeks old at that time oh beautiful oh gorgeous yeah. I'm puppy, puppy broody I am yes <laughs> oh, so she must have she must have sort of chosen you and known known fate wanted you to be together which is which is wonderful so then so you've got Moxie mm -hmm. you've got the bikes <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. the natural progression is how can I get Moxie to enjoy my the biking with me? So tell me about that because it's not what everybody would. They're not not the natural progression for everybody, but it, it worked, didn't it, for you two? Three. Yeah. So. I've always wanted a large breed dog. Like I wanted a Newfoundlander from the beginning. That was sort of my idea. And I wasn't going to get one out here. Um, just we weren't in the right climate, all of that. And it was it would be difficult to find a, a big breed like that here. Um, so when when the when Moxie came along, we knew that uh, it was going to be difficult to sort of take her along on our adventures because Greg and I, we only have motorcycles. We, we didn't have a car, but we knew that we wanted to take her along. We yeah. didn't want to just leave her at home. We needed to find a way to bring her along. So that's when the research started and we looked to see how other people were doing it taking a big dog so we knew that moxie's the mother was 80 pounds the father was 100 pounds so we knew that the dog was going to be she was going to be big yeah. so we looked to see what other people did and the common one was like having a sidecar or some people if you had a big enough bike you could have a trailer on the back and that's those are two common ways that people would take the dogs along and for small dogs there's a lot of options out there where they'll have little um like the pet palace or little um sort of like a little luggage that you can put on the front of your bike or on the back and the, um, on the, on the luggage rack. Yeah. But those are really only for dogs that are like 20 pounds or less. So for dogs that are like over 50 pounds, that was really the struggle. There was really nothing that out there on the market and especially not here in Guatemala that yeah. we had access to. So we looked around to see, well, is there something that we can fabricate ourselves that would allow us to take her with us? And here in Guatemala, they use those pizza delivery boxes. So they use motorbikes and they've got the, the sort of that metal case on the back where you could deliver food and pizza and all of that. Mm. And that sort of gave us an idea. We thought, well, why can't we use something like that and like put her in there and cut open the top? And so it was through that and the, that sort of thought progression and working with the metal workshop that's here in our town. Um, we had a, a connection with them because we've done a number of projects with them. So we, we went to work to sort of develop something that would work for my specific bike. Yeah. And 
that's what we uh, ended up with after a number of different uh, tests and trials. We got to our canine moto cockpit, which is what Moxie now rides in. And so she actually rides on the back of my motorcycle um, in this carrier, which is an open air carrier where she's harnessed in and she's in the laying down position so that she's her weight is not up high. It's down close to the bike. So it's still comfy uh, for me to ride. And she's in a nice position as well. And it, it feels like luggage. She riding with her. It's just quite, uh, quite the thing. It's, it's just an amazing experience being able to take her with me, but that's, that's what we had to do in order to take her along. And with that, we've ridden uh, tens of thousands of kilometers with her now. Wow. You see, it's different people, you know, come up with different things. When she started talking about the pizza bikes, I would have just wanted pizza. I'd have thought, well, I'll sit down and have some pizza. I wouldn't have got as far. I was thinking about the carrier for the dog, but that's me, you know. <laughs> but that's amazing. So did it take long to sort of, you know, accustom her to that, acclimatise her to that? So it wasn't, it was not difficult at all. So she was still, so we got her in November and then by January, we already had like sort of the first prototype. So she was already a few months old and um, she, we had been training her and um, so Basically, what we did is we sort of got her used to the sound of the bike without her on it. We got her used to being in the carrier off of the bike so that she can get used to laying in it. Sort of like how you would teach a dog to be comfortable in a kennel, um, um, to be crate trained like that. So she sort of used it as her her comfy place. And then we put the carrier on the bike. And um, when she was still small like that, we could lift her up and we put her in there. Um, and then she, um, we put her in there, we put the engine on, we gave her treats. It was all positive reinforcement to get her used to and having that positive experience of being on the bike. And, um, soon enough, like she felt comfortable enough that we could harness her in. And, um, and then we would go slowly out, um, here on our, our side streets here. And she was, she was fine. And I think the key thing was, is that because she was with me, like I wasn't leaving her at home, I was taking her with me. And that really was the key thing. And I think that that she caught on to that really quickly that if the bikes are being turned on and she's not there she's going to be left behind but if she gets up on the bike she knows that she can come along oh bless her and of course bike or car or, or van or whatever means you're going somewhere exciting you're going to do something the dog likes to do don't you yeah and they're all the new sights and smells that they get to experience along the way so that's really cool for her because especially here in Guatemala, there's cows on the side of the roads and horses and donkeys and sheep and everything that all, all the good smells that, you know, that dogs love. Uh, and it just it's like one thing after another for her. She she doesn't sleep on the bike. She's always active. She's always looking around. She's always sniffing. Uh, so it's it's great for her. And then it allows us to do a lot of cool things, too, because now we're not stopping at like gas stations all the time for our breaks. Now we're stopping at like parks or nice wide open areas where she can run and we can play fetch with her um, and so she gets to experience that and so do we um, which is nicer for us in our adventures too yeah oh it's lovely it's lovely I really <laughs> like it because to include your dog in whatever adventure you're having is is just perfect as you say for you and for them mm-hmm. so talking about adventures then because it, it seems to me like you're you're in Guatemala you're living your best life you're you're having a good time. It's all great. You've got your dog that you've wanted for so long. Everything's good. You can put your feet up and just enjoy that life. But you're not going to do that, are you? You've you've set yourself quite a challenge here and you're going to do a long 
bike ride sort of around around the world and it's to raise money and awareness I'm assuming for for Girl Up so tell me about that well let me take you one step yep. back great so when we got Moxie one of the key things that I wanted was something that was going to I wanted to outfit my dog in something that was colorful and bright that sort of represented Guatemala. And there really wasn't anything out there on the market that sort of paired the beauty and the vibrant colors of Guatemala and something that was going to be durable for my big German shepherd. Hmm. Uh, So we went to work uh, with some of the women uh, artisans here in Guatemala to create dog gear uh, Hmm. that did do that, that paired uh, the beauty with the durability um, for, for outdoor dogs like Moxie. And that's how we started Roughly. And Roughly is our ethical outdoor dog gear brand, um, where we make all dog gear, beds, bandanas, leashes, collars, poop bag dispensers, all of that. And um, we work with Indigenous women artisans here in Guatemala, and they work from their small home workshops. So they get to work at home and so that they can take care of their kids. Um, and they're the ones who create the beautiful uh, designs and um and, and the weaving that we use on our products. So it's 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 a great way to um, to create leaders in the communities here in Guatemala because we've been able to um, to provide work to these women and they've been able to bring on other women as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just growing and growing um, as we as we continue on. And um, because of that, it's we've we've always enjoyed obviously we've been in international aid work so that's this has been something that we've been really passionate about about helping communities and we wanted to do something more and that's where this idea of this big trip came into play because while yes we're helping the indigenous women here in in guatemala um through roughly we wanted to do more and we also wanted to do a larger motorcycle trip because that was something that we've always wanted to do and was sort of on the list, uh, especially with Moxie. So I was, I was thinking about what we can do to sort of have a bigger impact and what we can do so that it can sort of grow out of Guatemala and have more of a chance to, to support more, more girls and more women in the world. And that's where I thought of Girl Up. Girl Up, which was founded by the United Nations Foundation, they provide leadership development training for girls around the world. They're in over 120 countries. So they have these Girl Up Clubs where they provide leadership training and advocacy training for issues that matter most to them so that they can they can sort of rise up in their community and and, and fight for the issues that matter most to them. Yeah. And I just, I really connected with that um, because it's something I wish that I had had as, as a young girl um, to sort of build that confidence and, and those skills that you need, to, uh, especially in this, in this day and age and mm-hmm. um, being a strong woman and the importance of it. Um, but I really, I really connected with that. And so I thought, well, I need to, it'd be great if I could support them in a larger way. So that's where this sort of came into play. I've got something really cool that I do. I ride around with my motorcycle with my big dog on the back. And that's something that not a lot of people see. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking, well, can I pair those two things together by supporting Girl Up and riding with my big dog? And I thought, well, what better way to do that than show everybody by riding around the world with my big German shepherd uh, to raise money for Girl Up. And so now the goal is to do uh, 18 months, five continents, 
um, to raise $100,000 for Girl Up. And it's just, we're so excited. I'm going to get a chance to actually meet some of the girls and the girl clubs in the different countries. Uh, So I'll I'll be able to see them, see what issues that they're dealing with, sort of tell their story um, so that people understand where where their donation is going um, and and just be able to uh, connect with people uh, and girls around the world. So that's that's a really cool part for me. And we're going to be filming this whole thing. Mm. So um, on our YouTube series on two wheels and four paws, we're going to be doing weekly episodes. And when I go and see the when we go and visit the Girl Up Clubs, we'll be, get a chance to interview some of the girls and show them as well. So so people can really see that impact. Yeah. Wow. It's so exciting. I love this because <laughs> I've said this before, but one of the things I love, we all get these ideas, these inspirations, and we go, wouldn't it be good if I could, whatever, and it passes off, and, and you, a lot of them you just ignore. When when you actually see that through to fruition, and you, you think, no, I, I'm actually going to do that one. I'm actually going to do that, and I'm going to try. I, I love it, because that's, if we all do what we're inspired to do, and what we love, and what occurs to us, that's how the world turns. It's how we all you know, everybody's hopefully everybody's needs get met, isn't it? I love yes, that. exactly. And it, it's, it's been a lot of hard work. So we, we decided this in June, 2021, that we were going to start in March. So March 5th, 2022 is our launch date. And that's yeah. when, when we're setting off. Um, so we, we did have a number of, we've had a number of months to sort of get this going and, and the planning and all of the work that goes into that. Um, so there is a lot of, of, stuff that needs to get done before we actually leave um, and to to help with this fundraiser so it's been it's been a difficult uh and challenging um thing to do but we are just so excited about it the the fact that we get to go and i get to bring moxie with me and she's going to be able to see all of these different countries she's going to be able to be on all these different ways of transport she'll she'll have to fly she'll probably be on a boat uh we're gonna do a whole bunch of different things with her and she's just gonna experience so much i i'm just so excited to to see her in those in those experiences as well because here she's in guatemala and yeah there's a lot that is here and she really enjoys it but there's a lot that she hasn't seen she hasn't seen snow before that's going to be something new for her um all different animals that she hasn't sniffed before like it's just going to be great yeah yeah and obviously but i'm going to re- raise this because people might be thinking this but mm-hmm. you know your dog so for example with buddy he we didn't do anything on on the scale you're going to do but we did adventures and we went off and did things and, and little, little things like we we i remember one time we parked in a multi-story car park and and he'd never been in a lift before and the first time it moved and he kind of widened his stance and you could see him think, oh my goodness, what's this? And then he was like, yeah, okay, I've got it. I've got it. And, and then after that, a lift was just like, I know what I'm doing here. So you obviously feel that Moxie will enjoy this. She's not a dog that's going to be sort of cowed by it. She's going to go out there and, and see all these things and smell all these things and hear all these things and like that experience. Yeah, Moxie, she is more a working line shepherd than she is a, a show shep- shepherd. She is ready for anything. <laughs> uh, you can, we've, we take her on the boats here. So because we live on a lake, the other towns you get to by, by boat. Yeah. 
She jumps on like it's nothing. She doesn't mind when it's wavy. She'll jump in herself. We take her on the kayak. She'll jump into the water. Uh, (laughs) When we're riding, we've ridden in all different conditions. When it's cold out, when it's really hot, when it's windy, when it's raining, she she just takes it all in stride. And it's it's funny because she the first few days of a trip because we've done um, a lot of like one month trips with her Hmm. Um, so we'll we'll go in and we'll travel around Guatemala or we'll go up into Mexico or into Honduras and um, the first few days she's tired it takes her a while to sort of build that stamina because Mm -hmm. she's on all the time Um, she's on she if we ride six hours a day she's looking around six hours a day she's not resting like she would be at home right now she's across from me sleeping (laughs) on the couch so it's it takes her a little bit to get into it but once she once she's had a good night's sleep two or three nights every day it's like more and more it's like she builds that stamina and she needs more and more and so in the evenings as much as we've had a full day of riding she still needs to play fetch she still (laughs) needs to run around she still needs to go and have a whole jog so it's it's it she's just that type of dog and i know not all dogs are the same in that there are a lot that that would hate something like this, but she is just that type that is ready for any adventure. And out here in Guatemala, we've got a a pack of street dogs, basically, Mm -hmm. that lives just outside here. There are a lot of street dogs in Guatemala. Um, They're very friendly, but there are a lot of them. And and spaying and neutering, it's it's tough to do here. um, But they, they try. But we do have a pack of maybe eight dogs that are outside here. And they sleep out here and, and people feed them. Um, and Moxie is the queen. She is the pack leader of these street <laughs> dogs. And they follow her wherever she goes. They will even follow us as a, as a group oh. and we'll all go together. So she she knows how to deal with big dogs and small dogs. And she's just she's just that strong, um, strong female uh, that sort of I wish I can be, which is, which is why Moxie and I, we work so well together. She, she is sort of the inspiration that I've always needed because I've struggled myself with, with confidence issues and, and with um, just sort of being out there. And by seeing my dog do this and, and how much she can do, it's, it's really inspiring for me. And so that's why I'm, this, this trip is going to be uh, life-changing for me, definitely. And the growth that I'm going to get from this is going to be awesome. Yeah. And I I really have to attribute a lot of it to Moxie. Oh, it's funny because as you were saying, you know, she's ready for any adventure. I was thinking, you're so well matched. You're ready for any adventure. <laughs> so I think you've got you've got through your your confidence issues. You're there. <laughs> but then again, you see, you, you know, you present as very confident and you, you're seeing your idea through. And I love that. Nobody sees the inside. Nobody sees or feels how much th- some yep. things cost you. You know, you you project, okay, confidence and, and I'm okay and I'm coping. And inside it can be, you, you're, you know, struggling or, or working hard. Um, people don't see that. So, exactly. you know, it's, and I thought that, that, but that makes it even more special if that's the case that it, it's not, you know, when, if you don't care about something or if it doesn't bother you, it's not a problem, is it? It's like, I, I always remember, I, we went to a, a farm years ago when the, the children were little and, and I picked a rabbit up for, one, for the, my niece to stroke and my, my sister-in-law said, oh, you are brave. And I thought, it's a rabbit. It's not going to, you know, but that to her was brave. But to me, it was nothing. And that's what I mean. If it's nothing to you, yeah. it's not brave. It's, if it's costing you emotionally that's when it's brave, you know, and I love that's that. That's exactly it, yeah. yeah. And and for me, I think 
there are a lot of things that people would look at this adventure and be like, oh, that's really scary. And you are brave for doing that. And like you said, those are the things that I'm not scared about. The things that I'm scared about are things like the, the riding off road. So yeah. I'm great on the tarmac, for example. Like I'm great in the twisties. I'm great when it's paved roads. When you get into the off-road section, I have a confidence issue. I struggle with it. I've taken courses about it and we've done a lot of training, but I still, it's, I get anxious about it. And it's one of those things where you get, you sort of freeze and you're like, oh no, this is my, your heart is pumping and you just feel so uncomfortable, but you know, you have to get through it because there's no other road you can take. Mm -hmm. And on this trip, like you think about, we're going to be in Africa and we're going to be in, in West Africa and coming down into the Congo. There are no roads there that are paved or there's maybe one, and then it turns into sand. Um, So those are things that I know that I'm going to have to do. Um, And, and those are the things that really get me anxious about the trip. Crossing the borders, flying the dog, none of that makes me anxious. It's those types mm-hmm. of, I have to be able to get through this section. Otherwise, there's no trip. We'll just sort of, we'll be at a standstill. <laughs> yeah. So I that's something that I'm going to have to work on daily um, because there's going to be a lot of times where it's not going to be paved and there's going to be water crossings and there's going to be rocky roads and um, things like that that... Uh, that, that make me anxious now are things that I hope that by the time I get to that place, I'll actually be able to have worked through, through, through that and be able to do it without feeling so anxious. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you will. You're amazing. But, but I get the feeling that, yes, it's brave to do this journey, but in some ways it would be braver and harder. Well, brave is the wrong word, but you know, it would cost you more not mm-hmm. to do it. You've had this vision You've had this idea. You want to help people. Yes, it's going to cost you emotionally to, to, and mentally to do mm-hmm. it, but it might cost you more to to, to walk away at that point. Might, might, no. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I just have this feeling that I need to be doing more and I need to be able to gain visibility for this nonprofit, which is doing this amazing thing, um, because I want girls out there to to excel. It's like I said, we talk about the confidence issue. Like I said, it's something that's really near and dear to me. And I really want these girls to have the opportunities that um, that they might not have had otherwise. And Girl Up really provides that for them. So I, if I didn't do this trip, I would feel I would just feel really bad. I would feel sort of at loose ends that there's there's something out there that I could be doing and I'm not doing it. And so this is this really needs to happen um, for for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I take my hat off too. It's brilliant. So what about the practicalities? You've, you've mentioned sort of flying moxie and going on boats mm-hmm. and, and the borders and things like that. So what about the practicalities of taking moxie on this trip? There are a few things. First one is making sure that she has all of her documents. Um, we've, we've traveled here from Guatemala into Mexico, Honduras, El Salvador. Um, and so we've, we've done some of the border crossings. So we, we know what that's like with the dog. And that normally means she has to have her rabies certificate. She has to show her, her most recent deworming, um, and flea treatment, um, and then a health certificate, uh, from the vet. And depending on which country it is, an export permit to allow her to leave the country and into another country. So those are sort of the key things that we've been dealing with here. The biggest issue that we came across when we started this planning in June was getting her into the USA because the USA has the CDC has a new law out about 
dogs coming from high-risk rabies countries. And Guatemala is a high-risk rabies country. Mm -hmm. And this was something that was enacted in May last year. And it's sort of like this temporary ban that they put on from dogs coming from these types of countries. And what that requires is for you to get a permit approved by the CDC in order to bring your dog from one of those countries back into the USA. So the way that it was working um, from July up until now is that the only way that you can get this permit is you have to get a titter test done and it has to be by an approved CDC lab. So basically they draw her blood here, send it to the States, have it done there and brought back. Um, she has to be microchipped. She has to have all of her documents from here and you have to pay the fee. Once you, once you submit those documents, it takes six weeks for them to review it. Um, so it's a six weeks process. And um, if you get denied, you can't reapply. So you can wow. you can apply and there's a chance that you might not get in because the, what they were saying is that you can only enter, bring your dog back to the States if you're going for employment, if you're going for a university course or if um, if there's a, a major reason why you need to return. Um, so they're not doing it because you're on vacation or you're yeah. traveling. Uh, so it's it's really they wanted to narrow down the reasons why you'd come. So for me, that was difficult because, yes, we're returning to the States um, where where I'm a resident, but I'm not really coming for employment or for 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 uh, uh, school. So it was a tough situation there. Mm. So that's one thing about the permit. The other issue with the permit is that they only wanted you to enter by flight. So you could only fly um, to three designated airports, Los Angeles, Atlanta, um, and I think JFK. So you would have to fly your dog in. You couldn't go by land um, to cross the border. So that would mean for us that we would ride with Moxie up to the border of the U.S. And so we'd be in Mexico and Tijuana, for example. Moxie and I would have to go back down to Mexico City because that's the only airport that we could potentially fly out of. Yeah. Um, and Moxie obviously is a large dog. She's she's now 75 pounds. Um, she's in an extra large crate. She's in the giant size. Um, so she has to fly by unaccompanied cargo. So we would have to fly her from Mexico City to Los Angeles. Um, I would fly as well. And then from Los Angeles, I would have to ride or have to drive back down to the border mm -hmm. to pick up my motorcycle, cross over and then put Moxie back on and then we can continue. Wow. So there's a lot of logistics mm -hmm. about getting into the States. And we thought that was going to be the easiest part. Yeah. But because of this whole rabies ban, it's really causing a problem. Wow. Um, they, they've recently changed that law where they said, if your dog has been vaccinated for rabies in the U.S., then you can enter in without the permit. Moxie is from Guatemala. All of her vaccines are here in Guatemala. So we, we don't qualify oh for gosh. that part of it. So that's one of the biggest logistics hurdles that we're dealing with right now. Um, they said it's a one-year ban, and we're hoping that um, things change between now and when we cross over, which would be in April. But we don't know. And so we're going through the process and we'll, we'll see how that all works out. Yeah, but uh, wow. it's that's one of those things. And the costs and the time that that yeah. all comes into it, it just really um, makes it a bit more difficult than than what we would have hoped. Yeah. Gosh, I'm just thinking Bill Gates, Bill Gates, if you're listening to this, I mean, he's not. But Bill Gates, <laughs> if you're <laughs> if you are listening to this or if, if you're a friend of Bill Gates and you're listening to this, mm -hmm. um, 
get, let's get Bill Gates on the case because he does a lot of things for, for girls and, and helps them. And, exactly. And I, and he seems a good guy and he would probably have a spare plane knocking Absolutely. around the place. Absolutely. So, you know, that he could lend you, would give you probably. But, you know, yeah, let's get Bill Gates on this. <laughs> yes, please. Bill yeah. Gates, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Incredible. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is, it's it's such a big wow. I mean, I can't, I can't even begin to get my head around how much. Well, and that's just to the States, yeah. right? Then you think about, we also have two motorcycles because my husband is coming along. He's riding his own bike. Yeah. Um, so we have two motorcycles and a dog. And so now you have to think about how we're going to get from North America to Europe. So we're going to have to fly. So we'll have to put the, the bikes on uh, either by boat or we'll fly them across as cargo. And then Moxie, we have to think about how we're going to get her across. Yeah. Um, because she's in the giant sized crate, there's only certain airlines that will fly her. Um, and it also depends on the temperature on the ground when you fly with the dog. It can't be more than, I think, 28 degrees outside. Um, and it can't be less than, I think, six degrees or something like that on the tarmac. So wow. it depends on the time of year that you're flying. And we're hoping that Air Canada, which has a fly your bike and fly your pet sort of program uh, where it's sort of subsidized and it's a lower cost where um, you sort of uh, you can fly to certain um, areas in in Europe and potentially in Africa and Morocco and I think one other. Um, so the thought is hopefully that their program is going to restart again uh, next year because they had it stopped because of COVID and everything that was happening. Yeah. But we're hoping that if they if they can uh, restart their program, then we can easily fly from Toronto to either the UK or to Frankfurt. And then from there, we can start heading south. But it's again, we have to make sure that we can get our bikes on, that we can get Moxie on and ourselves on. So yeah. that is always going to be wow. the, the challenge when we're crossing continents. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Yep. If you don't know the answer, we'll cut this out. <laughs> but <laughs> it just occurs to me that how do you maintain the continuity of food so i'm thinking you know you're not coming in a great big pantechnican lorry you can't bring 18 months worth of food so how do you I, I, to me yeah, i'm thinking this is a nightmare because i'm thinking how would i make sure that i get the, the right food in the different countries they might not even stock it they wouldn't have had it in that country oh my goodness how so how do you you know ensure that continuity of food for her because we know obviously if anybody's thinking why am I asking this question most dogs stomachs can be a little not react very well to a change of food that's an abrupt change of food so how are you coping with that what's the answer so what we do now is um, we we have her kibble that we we normally give her, um, and she also has like half of a raw diet as well because meat here is quite easy to get and it's not that expensive. Um, so we supplement with with raw food as well. If we can't find kibble, so we bring we bring a few days worth of kibble, um, and once we get to another country, like for example, when we went to, I think it was Honduras, they didn't have the brand that she had been eating this whole time. So what we did is I had, I still had three days worth of kibble for her. And I slowly started introducing this other kibble that, that we were able to find that we knew was going to be available uh, throughout Honduras. So we did that. And we also gave her, um, we gave her raw food as well. So that helped with that transition. It's just, you can't do it. Like you said, it can't be abrupt or she's just 
going to have a problem. But we have found that if we do it over three days um, and slowly start introducing it, she seems to be okay. Um, It is something that we're going to have to think about, especially as we go through through Africa. And I'm sure we're going to have places where we're going to be in really rural areas. Um, and it might mean that we'll have to stock up more in the cities so that we have the food available for her um, in those more rural areas. And we purposefully have um, places on our motorcycles. We have special Moxie pocket bags where her food sort of stays and her water and all of her things. So we have the capacity to bring about a week's worth of kibble um, in one of the side bags for her. Um, and so that should help help with that transition yeah excellent I knew you'd have well I suspected you would have thought of it but I thought I just asked this because that's <laughs> that's oh, I know goodness. wow the more you think about this the more things occur to you, you go oh my goodness how are you doing this how are you doing that but I mean it's amazing yep. as I say I take my hat off to you because it's it's such a big undertaking and such a wonderful thing to do and I you know I really hope you get that target because that's that's just incredible um You've told us so much about this already, and that's that's brilliant. Is there anything else that you you sort of want to say about the, uh, well, about Moxie or the or going on the bike with a dog or or the trek or anything? Um. So so two things. So for for this around the world adventure, um, our small business, roughly, which makes the dog gear, is also going to be donating ten percent of all of the gear sales that we make during this adventure to the fundraiser. So not only are we asking for donations, but if you buy gear from us, 10% is going to go towards the fundraiser. So we're if if you're thinking still about Christmas gifts or things for the new year, if you've got dogs out there or dog dog friends, uh, coming to shop at goroughly.com is a great way to sort of support the cause and get some cool gear made by Indigenous artisans here in yeah. Guatemala. Um, the other thing, um, the carrier that Moxie rides in, we actually fabricate those. And so now we have over a hundred riders around the world that ride with their big dogs um, on their motorcycles. So if you, we have a number that are in the UK right now as well. So if you see any of them out there, uh, it's a very unique design, so you're not going to miss it. Uh, But if you see it, don't forget to tag us and let us know that you saw it because it's always cool for us to see other riders around the world with their dogs. Um, And that's something that I hope that we're going to do along the way as well, that we're going to get a chance to meet up with some the other uh, riders that have big dogs uh, so that we can do a little bit of a trip together uh, along the way. Um, but yeah, so if if you're looking for gifts, come to goroughly.com. That's, that's a great way to support. Um, and um, if you are along the way and you'd like to meet up and you'd like to meet Moxie, you can feel free to reach out to us as well. We'd love to uh, stop by and say hello uh, as we come through uh, yeah. because it's always great for us to meet people along the way. I bet. Excellent. Oh, wow. So now you've mentioned goroughly.com. We'll put those links on um, on the Dogcast site. And also, if you could send me some pictures of, yeah. of Moxie on the bike, or you know, that would be great as well. We'll put those on. Um, so where else can people go to find, about, find out about you online? So goroughly.com has all of the information about the trip. Um, and we will be, like I had mentioned, we're going to be having this weekly series. So right now we do this series called On Two Wheels and Four Paws, and it's on YouTube. And right, if you look right now, you'll see some of our previous trips in Mexico and, and around Central America with Moxie. And during this uh, adventure, we're going to be putting out a weekly episode. 
So you can follow along and see how we're doing um, throughout this whole thing. And we'll probably be maybe a week behind, but you'll be able to see what's going on and the girls that we meet and the adventures that we have with Moxie. Um, so that's something to tune into. It's If you go to goroughly.com, you'll see it there uh, and you'll be able to watch some of the episodes. Uh, and and the other thing I wanted to say is if you're curious where we are on the trip, we're going to be having a GPS tracker. Moxie is going to be wearing her own GPS tracker. So you'll be able to see where she is at any moment on our trip. So if you go to goroughly.com, um, there's the world adventure page and you'll be able to sort of see the map and be able to follow, uh, follow her track. You, you blow my mind because I'm thinking, wow, that you say it so lightly. We'll be we'll be putting a weekly episode out, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that in itself is a major undertaking to say, yeah, I'm going to put a, a weekly episode out. Oh my goodness, so you're going to do all these other things? And <laughs> yes, and wow. we're going to be running roughly from the road, so our business is still continuing. We'll still be selling gear and cockpits and all of that good stuff. So the the thought is we will be riding three or four days and we'll be off the other days. So we'll work half of the week and we'll ride half of the week. So that will allow us to have time to do the video series and to be able to keep the business going um, and then still be able to make a lot of ground. So we are going to be doing that that balancing act uh, for this time. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound so easy. Oh, three or four days a week. Yeah, it's fine. Well, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just, well, we will be amazing. dedicated. Yeah, oh, you will. <laughs> well, at the end of eight months, you'll either feel wonderful or absolutely burned out. <laughs> My goodness! I tell you what, when you when you stop, it's yeah, it's going to be a bump because it's going to be a whirlwind of activity and and purpose. Um, so my goodness, you'll have to think of, I mean, I don't know where you go after yeah. you've done the world. Where do you go after that? <laughs> well, the cool thing is, is that we want to end in Guatemala again. So from Guatemala, we go up to North America. From there, we go to Europe. We'll mm -hmm. go all the way through through West Africa, down to South Africa, back up the east side of Africa, into Europe again, and then go east all the way through Asia. And then from Malaysia, we'll go back down to South America and then all the way back up to Guatemala. So that allows us to do the full loop. We get to, to stop in the same place that we started. So we'll be back here in Guatemala where Roughly's headquarter is, and we'll be able to sort of decide what's, what's next at that point, because <laughs> you never know. There, I'm sure there are going to be a number of opportunities that come up in the, in the time that we're going to be on the road. And um, who knows what the next big adventure will be after that. But we need to make it through this first one <laughs> before we start thinking about the next one <laughs> oh, uh, just the best of luck with it because it's it's marvelous and let's keep in touch because i really I, I, I wish you the best of luck and i want to sort of i want to know how you're doing with it great i would love to share it yeah that would be awesome thank you and give give moxie a love from me i will <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling inadequate now too don't worry it wears off but jess is amazing isn't she I wish her all the luck in the world and hopefully we'll be keeping track of her journey and keeping in touch. We have all the links Jess mentioned on dogcastradio.com and I'm looking forward to watching on two wheels and four paws. If anyone listening does happen to have a spare plane knocking around, which they wouldn't mind lending to Jess and Moxie, we'd love to hear from you. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www 
dogcastradio.com. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is barking loud for all to hear. Carolyn Menteith is a superb behaviourist who writes and broadcasts, always giving brilliant advice which helps dogs and people. Today, she's discussing research done by Tales.com into the perceptions of changes in the dog world in the last two years, which have been eventful by anyone's standards. With more dogs around, who may be poorly socialised from lower-than-average exposure to social situations, reduced training and vet visits, there may be more problems than ever which we have to face with our four-legged friends. I'm here today talking with Carolyn Menteith. Hi, Carolyn. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Have you come out the other side of the kind of COVID madness? I, are we getting there? I'm, t- I'm taking baby steps, but it's just, I've been, you know, I, t- I so identify with the dogs that we're going to be talking about in a minute because I have lost all my social skills. And so I'm, I'm kind of like now amongst finding myself amongst people again going, what do I do? What do I say? Where do I look? Where do I put my hands? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I find myself growling at people in supermarkets. It really is a worry. <laughs> do you know, though, I think I did that before COVID. <laughs> Yeah, but we've got an excuse now. Well, yes, that, yes, yes. We won't mention that. We'll just say it, it, this has happened due to, to COVID, the lockdown. But, yeah. you know, so we're all struggling to sort of get back to normal. And we're going to talk about um, research by Tails.com about how our dogs may be struggling to get back to normal. Um, because in, it, this is fascinating research. And 36% of dog owners surveyed feel the number of poorly trained dogs in their local area has increased over the last two years. And in some ways you go, yeah, I bet it has. You know, I mean, it's shocking, but yeah, I bet it has because they, we haven't had the chance to socialise. They haven't had the, the chance to socialise. Um, we're all a bit rusty and it's all going a bit wrong, isn't it? Well, I, th- I think there's quite a few different strands to this. I mean, the first one is a massive increase in the number of dogs in the yes. UK. Mm-hmm. We've gone from nine million, roughly 9 million dogs before the first lockdown to 12.5 million dogs, wow. which is an enormous just increase in the number of dogs. So first of all, we're seeing more dogs out there because there are. There are 3.5 million more dogs out yeah. there. So we're coming into contact with more and more dogs. And an awful lot of the people who have got dogs during lockdown have only been able to do so because the way they work has changed. Um, they're either working from home more or they're working remotely. And they're often people who've never had the opportunity to have a dog in their adult life before. Yeah. So we've got more dogs out there and we've got quite a lot of inexperienced owners. And normally inexperienced owners would have been able to go to you know puppy club classes, socialisation classes, training classes, all those things where they would find professionals who'd be able to support them. And of course, they've not been able to do that during during COVID. So I think there's there's quite a few different strands as to why this is happening and why it's very, very much a dog owning in the time of COVID. Yes. It has completely it's completely changed the landscape. Yeah, yeah. It has do you know I met a young Labrador the other day and um and she she was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous dog. But I just, I could tell she was nervous and I turned sideways to her so it wouldn't be less confrontational. 
And that made her really, really jump and jump backwards. And I was like, oh my goodness, okay. So I stood there and she did come up to me and she relaxed and she realised, okay, this is a nice person. And she lay on her back, as a Labrador will tend to do. But the thing that amazed me was the whole time she had her tail clamped down over Mm -hmm. a bottom, even lying on her back. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you poor dog. That really shocked me. It has had a real impact on dogs, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really, really has because, I mean, normally dogs, as we were saying, dogs would have gone through puppy classes and yes. socialisation and they'd have they'd have met people just in the whole normal course of just socialising. You know what it's like when you've got a puppy, you you, know, yes. you take them out and you, you, you just let them see people and all kinds of different people and you possibly go to the pub or go for a coffee. and you, And so they see people all the time. But now meeting strange people is a novelty. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not a, it's not something they've got used to in that really really crucial socialization window where you can accept novelty and just go oh this is new but this is just part of life this is kind of fun yeah. um and you're starting to meet them in the time where you go whoa haven't haven't had this experience before this is a bit new and scary and i'm just going to be over here and so i think one of the things that also is really interesting because you talked about labradors um the other problem is that more and more people are saying to me, my dog is absolutely fine with other dogs, except when I'm out, there's nearly always some crazy Labrador will come bouncing <laughs> up to them and jump on them and want to play. Normally with the owner shouting, you know, don't worry, he's friendly. And, um, and, and you know, I've got a real problem because my dog's starting to tell off these dogs. Yes. And I'm trying to say to them, socialisation isn't just about the dogs that are worried and are scared socialization is also about the other end of the spectrum those social butterfly often labradors but nearly always gun dogs who are massively gung-ho love everybody and in that kind of socialization period learn how to be appropriate and how not to be rude and and so they've they've missed out on that socialization as well yeah. So quite often I go to these people, you know, oh, you know, my, my dog had a go at this bouncy, you know, Labrador retriever, whatever, that came and wanted to play and, and, and wouldn't go away. You know, my dog's aggressive. And you have to turn that on the, on the head and say, actually, no, or, you know, the other dog was actually being inappropriate yeah. and rude and under-socialised. And so, so it's, not just the, it's not just when they get a little bit toothy that you're going, that's, you know, evidence mm-hmm. of being under-socialised. It's also when these big bouncy extrovert i love all other dogs everybody must play with me because i'm just so happy and friendly have never learned how to do that appropriately yes yeah and i have to say hands up when i first had buddy i've been that owner he he was that dog he was just like i love you i love everybody you know everybody's gonna love me and i'll just go up to, to everybody and obviously we, we trained and trained and he got a better recall and i would you know keep be vigilant and put him on lead and I would get around things like that. And then I was the person with the better trained dog um, and and I've been the, the person with their dog on a lead doing all the right things. And then I had another lady with two Labradors. And again, gorgeous dogs it ran up all over him and and one of them, gro- this was years ago, one of them growled at Buddy and she said, oh, it's because he's on lead. And I actually, I, I, I do lose my rag sometimes. And I turned around and I said, it is not because he's on lead. It's because yours aren't. And I was so cross. And I told her. And she was very, you know, by the end, she'd got a different attitude. And But that's, you know, 
I, I, I learned very quickly and I always felt it's my responsibility to make sure Buddy doesn't get in anybody's face and, and be a problem. And that's part of dog ownership, isn't it? To, to, um, to take that responsibility. <laughs> It really is. And I think one of the problems or one of the issues is, especially with inexperienced owners who haven't maybe had dogs before or haven't been around dogs that much before, um, they kind of assume that it's normal and it's good, natural dog behavior that all dogs should want to play with all other dogs. And that's what that, you know, that's that's natural and that's normal. When actually that couldn't be more unnatural for dogs. Most dogs are exactly the same as we are. They're selectively social. So, you know, like us, we have our friends and our families and the people that we want to interact with and we want to, you know, have fun with or talk to or have conversations with or, you know, go to the pub with or whatever. But that's actually quite a small group. We don't want to go to a supermarket and have everybody in in supermarkets bouncing up to us and wanting to hug us and, you know, stroke our hair (laughs) and like, you know, let's go for a drink. I'm sorry, I don't know you. Um, I'm (laughs) I'm going to have to beat you with some spreads and sprouts now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, lots of people don't understand natural dog behaviour. So these people, as their Labrador or whatever it is that goes bouncing up and they're shouting, don't worry, he's friendly, aren't just understanding that why should we have that expectation that all dogs should want to play with all other dogs? Because that's not natural. That's not what dogs are. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, while, while we're saying that, that I, I absolutely agree that... that you know, dogs don't want to meet all dogs necessarily. I also think it's an important point. Dogs don't necessarily want to meet all people. You know, I, I sometimes will say to an owner, oh, can I say hello? And the dog is clearly saying, I don't want to say hello, whether they don't like me or people in general or women or whatever it is or they're just not in the mood at that particular time I can see that dogs are going no 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 and the owner often is embarrassed and sort of goes oh hang on hang on I'll get them and they start pulling the dog forward and you think no please just accept they don't want to meet me right now this this is another big thing and I talk about this a lot and why should we expect our dogs to want to interact with strange people and Why do we feel that we can give consent Mm. for them to interact with strange people? I mean, if I was out, I seem to obviously do a lot of supermarket shopping. (laughs) If I'm in the supermarket and I'm in the supermarket with my partner and some strange man comes across and says to my partner, oh, you know, she's really lovely. Can I give her a hug? And he says, yeah, go on. She loves it when I give her a hug. I mean, quite frankly, first of all, he'd be sacked the next day. But you can't give consent for someone else. And the other thing is we're terribly, terribly British. Um, If somebody comes up and says, can I talk to your dog? Most owners actually feel really embarrassed about saying no. Um, Actually, I'd really rather you didn't. And we've got to stop doing that. If we think if, if we're ever tempted to do it, Change the narrative in your head to child. If some strange person came up and said, please, can I, you know, can I talk and stroke and cuddle your child? You would probably be on the phone to the police (laughs) the very next second. And so you really should be. Yeah. So why on earth do we, first of all, have this expectation that we should be able to go and talk to strange dogs that we don't know? Why should we tell our children, you know, always ask if you can talk to a strange dog? Why don't we just say, you never talk to a strange dog mm. in the same way that we say you never talk to a strange person. Stranger danger goes across species. It's not just about talking to strange humans. We should be teaching children not 
ask the owner or let them sniff you first. We should be teaching children, you do not go up to a strange dog because the owner might actually not know how that dog's feeling and the owner only knows how that dog reacts with them. And it, it is a danger. They yes. have teeth. You know, and and I I just this makes me so angry. We should be saying to children, you do not talk to strange dogs. Yeah, you can have plenty of fun with your own dog, with family's dogs, with friends' dogs that you know. But if you do not know that dog, you don't. I mean, I was. I mean, I I, I was the culprit. I mean, I my mother tells me that when I was two and a half years old, I got bitten, and I got bitten quite badly on the face and inside of my mouth, actually. Hmm. Um, all running up to a strange dog and hugging it yeah now you know was it the dog's fault no No. was it my fault no was it my mother's fault well she kind of has to take the blame for that (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, we blame mums for everything (laughs) but yes I know I know know what you're saying but I mean also also I kind of because we had Buddy and Star and 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 Mischief now is very dog a very child friendly as well but Hmm. Buddy and Sarah obviously loved children and children were drawn to them. And the one day, and I've told this story before, but I love this story. The one day a little girl was very drawn to Star and she said, to be fair, she said, can I say hello to your dog? So we said yes. Well, before we could say anything else, she just went up to Star, who was tiny, but this girl was tiny as well, squatted down, put her hands at the side of her face and just put her 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 own face by Star's face. Well, Star loved particularly little girls because Jenny had been a little girl, obviously. And she just... They just communed. It was actually beautiful, but I felt so responsible because I thought, oh my goodness, if she does that to the, to the wrong dog, you know, she's going to get seriously injured. And, and so I said, I did chat to her afterwards and to the mom and, and said, look, I know our dogs were fine there, but that's quite an invasive thing to do. Please don't do that with other dogs. You're right. We should teach stranger danger with dogs, shouldn't we? We absolutely should be. We absolutely should. There are, as I say, 12 and a half million dogs now in the UK. Um, children are going to come into contact with far more dogs than they ever have done before in communal areas, in, in play spaces, on the streets. And I think we, we have to start saying you do not talk to strange dogs. If you don't know them, you don't touch them in the same way as you don't go and talk to and touch strange people. Um, I think we should be teaching that across the board because that's how we are going, that's how we keep children safe. We have to remember the majority of dog bites happen to young children. Yeah. Um, and part of that is, as you have just said, their faces are on face or on, well, on tooth height yes. with, with dogs. And so if, if, by any chance, I mean, 99.9% of the time, it's going to be fine. Um, but if there is an incident, we're teeth very close to face. Yeah. And so, you know, we really, really, and we should be advocating for our dogs. We shouldn't be putting our dogs in that position either, because most of us, most of us don't know that our dogs are going to be okay with strange children they've never seen before in a new environment where there might be stressors, where they might not have been socialised, where there's lots and lots and lots of triggers that we might not have even noticed Mm. that means just one more thing makes the dog go, you know what, I've just had enough today. And you know what it's like if you've had a really, really bad day and everything's just gone completely wrong, someone only has to say one word slightly off to you and you're going to fly at them. (laughs) You're just going to say, how dare you say that to me? Yeah. Um, You know, we, we don't, 
people are really bad at reading their dogs or actually even looking at their dogs to read their dogs um and half the time i mean any time as a behaviorist or i do expert witness work and things like that any time when someone gets bitten whether it's a child or not someone will always say oh we didn't see that coming or he gave no warning or whatever and most of the time i want to say you know what if you actually knew how to speak dog if you understood what your dog's saying to you. Your dog has probably been telling you that that was coming for at least weeks. Um, yes. And what happened is you've ignored them and ignored them because you've not read them properly. And eventually the dog's gone, well, I, there's nothing else I can do here. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm at the end of my tether. I can't take any more. And I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think... I mean, one of the things that's really, really good about um, what we've been doing with Tales.com, I mean, the the whole idea was, first of all, do a survey and find out what is going on out there. Mm. Um, Because we can we can read lots of, you know, horror stories on 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 media, just how it's all, you know, it's it's an aggression boom and there's all these things going on. And the first thing we actually found out was that 55 percent of people surveyed didn't think dog behavior had got any worse. Mm. So, I mean, that in itself is really interesting and actually Great testament to dogs, quite yes, honestly. Yes. Um, but then having worked out what the problem was, we then kind of sat down and said, well, what can we do about it? And the only thing you can do about it is education. Yeah. It is the only thing you can do. And it's educating It's educating children. It's not just educating children. It's educating parents. An awful lot of the time when there are injuries to children or bites to children, it's not because the children weren't being supervised with the dog. And we all say, you know, never leave small children and dogs alone together. It's not that they weren't being supervised. It was that parents don't know what it is they're looking for. And if you ever doubt that, go on Facebook, trawl through Facebook every now and then, and look at photographs of small children with dogs, quite often hugging the dog, with the dog showing every single Mm. bit of body language that says, please get this child off me. And the parent is there taking a photograph and saying, look how much they love each other. Mm. And I'm screaming. (laughs) So it's education. It's education of children, it's education of parents, it's education of dog owners. And more than that, it's just giving people some some really, really easy tips and giving them some advice as to where to go to to get educated. Um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't jump in the car and drive your car at 90 miles an hour um, without having had a driving lesson or without having passed a test. So it's just saying, you know, if you're going to have a dog that's got teeth and can cause injury do a bit of education just find out what you've got learn learn to know what that dog's saying and learn to know what their behaviors are and learn to know what a dog is yeah um and and stop expecting your dog to love every person and love every dog and feel a little bit embarrassed if they don't (laughs) Uh, absolutely absolutely and i mean you've got a dog with emotions and opinions and and an ability to express those feelings and as you say if you miss the small pointers where they're going I'm not quite happy here I'm not quite happy here it escalates and it goes to okay if you're not going to get me out of here I'm going to have to do this myself and as you say it's better much much better if you can think oh gosh okay he's not happy I'm going to take him out I don't know what's going on but I'm going to go away from here and we're going to work on this you know and and we're going to make sure he's only in situations or where he's happy or we're going to sort of work on how he views situations and and and, or and I think as well accept that some situations 
just aren't going to be right for this dog ever. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do because we get these dogs with an opinion of what we're going to do with them and, and an aim and I'm going to do this, that and the other. And then the dog goes, do you know, actually, I don't like that. And that's really, really difficult to accept. I mean, it, it absolutely is. I mean, first of all, it's about all the time looking at your dog and thinking, how are you feeling in this situation and how can I make you feel better? Mm. Um, and it's doing that all the time. And sometimes it is about just recognizing that, I mean, dogs are in an awful lot of ways like us. Um, you know, we, we would love to be perfect. You know, I'd love to, you know, drink two liters of water a day, do two hours of exercise every day and, and all of those things. That would be the kind of, you know, perf, perf, you know perfect. That's what mm. I should do. Do I, do I do it? No, I really, really don't. <laughs> And I just have to accept that I'm not the sort of person that's going to do that, much as I'd love to be in an ideal world. And it's the same when we, when we select our friends and when we select our partners. Um, much as we have this great idea of who or what, you know, the, um, you know the, whether it's the George Clooney or the, or the whatever it is that we have this idea of perfection, it's actually about looking at the individual that we are with. And that is exactly the same with dogs. Yeah. We need to look at the individual that we're with. We have to understand them. Spend some time thinking about things like what were they originally bred to do? Yes. Because that, yeah. that's largely how they're going to react to things. And that's going to give you lots of hints. Um, I mean, the big thing, I don't know what it's like in your area, but there's an explosion of cockapoos yes. um, where yeah. I am. A complete explosion of them. And when you get a, a nice cockapoo, they are enchanting. Yes. But but the reality is one of them is a working gun dog yeah. who is busy, seriously busy all the time, who can be a little bit, it's mine, you're not going to have it if you don't actually work on um, swapping things that they seem to, that they find important. And then you cross that with a poodle who are, bouncy competitive on the go all the time pingy things and people then wonder why this gorgeous cute little teddy bear puppy that they bought is on the go all the time doesn't seem to have an off switch wants to be into everything choose things and won't give it back um and you kind of say well you know you should have looked into what these breeds were originally bred to do and you've kind of got what you paid for to be honest yes um yeah. and it's like i mean we talk about labradors because obviously you've got um you're you're a labrador a labrador fan <laughs> yes um but people buy labradors a lot of the time purely because they're good family dogs yeah. because they'll get on with children and they'll get on with other dogs and they'll get on with cats and they'll get on whatever and they forget the bit that goes working gun dog needs to have endless exercise every single day no matter what the weather's like they're mud magnets and love nothing <laughs> more than leaping into even the smallest puddle and a big river oh yeah they're in heaven yes uh, <laughs> and they're very very mouth oriented because they're retrievers yeah. so they're going to want to carry things around um and so many people get a labrador because they went oh well we just thought you'd be good with the kids well yes but he's now bored rigid. He's chewing yeah. everything in his mind. He's barking the place down. He's seriously unhappy because you didn't research what you were getting. Yeah. You know, we've got, we've got over 220 odd breeds of dogs, purebred dogs in the UK, and an endless variety of crossbreeds. There's one to fit into your lifestyle absolutely perfectly so just research but it's back to education again isn't it yeah absolutely and and the other thing is like you know the the buddy that I think back to 
was the perfect dog. But then when I get reminded, I'm thinking of Buddy after the age of five. And up to the, you know, and if I'm really, really honest and I look back to under the age of five, he could be a real challenge and a real little swine, you know, and he could drive me to tears. And, but we kept working, we kept working and we got there. And he honestly, from five onwards, you know, four and a half, whatever, four onwards, he was my dream dog. But, you know, I always say the rod you make for your own back is the rod you can stand. So, you kind Absolutely. of you you work on those behaviours with the dog that you really really can't live with, and then you get the dog that you can live with, and hopefully the dog that can live with you really happily too. Um, but you know it, it's a partnership, and it it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't you don't get that puppy, and it's and it's wonderful from day one. I the first, after ten days, I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? And I I couldn't even say to Mister Dogcast, I couldn't say, I think I've made a mistake because. I had yeah. campaigned. I'd campaigned to get this dog, Carolyn. And I'd really sort of pleaded and, and persuaded that I wanted this dog. And then I got this dog and it was, it was awful. When he was a puppy, it was just constant, you know, for, certainly those first few days, it was constant vigilance and it was cloth in one hand, spray in the other and poo and pee everywhere. And <laughs> it was awful. Absolutely. And I think, I think without doubt, any, any responsible person when they take on the puppy always have that that period yes. and it's nearly always, it's nearly always two weeks in where the reality hits the lack of sleep hits because obviously if you're toilet training properly you're not getting a massive amount of sleep yeah so you're tired you're cleaning up constantly um you're having to be vigilant for another being pretty much 24 7 except mm-hmm. when they're asleep that happens for worryingly short periods <laughs> um and normally about two weeks in Virtually every single puppy owner will say, I have just made a huge mistake. Yeah. And they'll look for they'll look into the future at kind of 15 years of I'm never going to be able to go on holiday without having to think about this thing or go out or have a night out or go for dinner without having to think about what am I going to do with the dog. And suddenly it just looks completely overwhelming. Yeah. But then as you say, um, when you take on a puppy, you're not programming a computer. You're not doing something that has got fixed rules. You're building a relationship with yes. another emotional being. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the big thing is, think, I, I wish owners in that period, in that two-week period, would suddenly think about it from their puppy's side. Yeah. Because from their puppy's side, every single thing that that puppy knew, every rule to life that that puppy thought they understood, every person, everything that they knew in those early baby weeks they have just been taken away from completely. Yeah, yeah. They're on their own for the first time, away from their mum, away from their litter mates. They're with people they don't know in a place that they don't know that smells different, looks different, sounds different. I mean, uh, it's amazing that dogs ever turn out well-adjusted at yes. all half the time because what we do to them at such a young age and quite often everybody gets completely tied up with, oh, this is a nightmare and I can't toilet train them. They're peeing and they're pooing. This is just a disaster without thinking I have just got this tiny baby that's just been taken away from every single thing that this dog has ever known. And every single rule to being a dog has just completely gone out the window. And so I think it's probably harder for our puppies than it is for us. Um, if we just go over the lack of sleep for long enough to yes. look at 
I think I think that is I think that's very much the case. We're building a relationship, and you can't build a relationship. You know, it's not like here's my puppy at eight weeks old. Now we have this fantastic bond, and he's the perfect dog. Yeah, doesn't happen like that. Yeah. Doesn't happen with doesn't happen with children. Doesn't happen with partners. Most certainly doesn't happen with dogs. Um, it takes time, and it takes work, and it takes building the relationship that works for you. And when I, people come to me and always say things like, right, you know, I need to start puppy training. And they have in their mind sits and downs and, and heel work and things like that. And actually what we should be teaching our puppies and teaching our dogs is just exactly what you said, um, to live in our lives harmoniously and well. And so we should be teaching them first and foremost life skills. Yes. Um, Far more than, you know, do I care if your dog can do a out-of-sight downstay for two <laughs> minutes without moving? Actually, no, I really don't. But I'd rather he didn't, you know, chase the cat, knock over the children, push over granny and terrorise all the couriers in the neighbourhood. Um, it, it's about life skills. It's not about – people still have the view of training your dog, of marching around village halls in – a tweed skirt and sensible shoes, um, and that's just the men. Um, but I think we still, I think people still have that old-fashioned view of trainers and behaviorists and training. And actually, if you're doing it right, it's fun. Yes. You're building a relationship. You're you're having fun together. And if you can do that, I mean, one of my two of my horrible statistics I rule out from time to time. First of all, the majority of dogs are given to rescue between six and eighteen months of age. Mm. That's time when they hit teenager yeah um, but if you've actually learned how to interact and you have fun with each other and you have a relationship and you have trust and you have a bond then you will manage to navigate the waters of adolescence or the terrible teens or whatever it is far far better because you have got that trust in each other because you've built that relationship um and for the people who don't the other horrible statistic is the biggest cause of death in dogs under two years old is euthanasia because of behavior problems oh. um and that's and, and nobody gets a dog to have a problem no no um, ever just quite often people don't they first of all don't know where to go to to take good advice feel embarrassed to take advice and forget about the fact that what they're dealing with is a thinking feeling emotional sentient being who all the time is making their own decisions on what's dangerous what's safe what's enjoyable what's best avoided and we also forget how much our dogs even from being tiny puppies watch us to see how to behave and to see how to interact it's so easy to think that we only train our dogs in those, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minutes, three times a day that we put aside to train our dog. And we forget that our dogs watch us all the time. They learn from every single interaction that we have with them. They're learning. I mean, we I've said it to you before. I mean, we have our our partners, our families, our jobs, our social lives. We have all these things. Our dogs only have us. Yes. And so we should never underestimate how much they watch us and how much they learn from us and how much relationship building, which is the basis of all good dog relationships, is going on in the other 23 hours when you're not training. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And the difficulty for me is, you know, 
sometimes that's that training the, the dog is learning when i'm actually thinking do you know what i want to be off now i want to just sit and veg- <laughs> you know in you know what i mean be a couch potato and watch television and i just want to relax i don't want to train you right now but the dog is still watching and learning and it's 24 7 so it's that's the hard bit i think well, it is. But then it's also the other, going the other way as well. Because one of the things that always fascinates me when you start working with owners or when you start watching owners, they'll, they'll do that vegging thing on the night. So they'll crash. It's been a busy day and they've maybe done everything right with their dog and whatever. Um, and their dog will settle down and relax, which is exactly what the owners want the dog to do. They really want the dog to be able to settle and relax. And that's the point where they totally ignore them. Yeah. And never reward them and never give them any interaction. So the dog then kind of goes, oh, well, um, I might just come up and, you know, just pester you a bit and just see what's going on. And suddenly the owners then give the dog their full attention. Yes. And you need to, it's kind of learning, reward the dogs for the things that you want, because we know how operant conditioning works. Um, the things that are reinforced will be repeated. Yeah. And if your dog settles down beside you, well, Give them a stuffed Kong to chew or just smile at them or just stroke their ear or just, you know, say, you know, good dog. Just interact with them in a way that they kind of know, okay, so this is, yeah, she likes that. Okay, I can just settle down here. Um, And it's always about looking to see what your dog's doing. And if they're doing the thing you want them to, reward them for it. Because yeah. the more, more time you can reinforce something, the more it'll be repeated. Um, and it's just that having that real basic understanding of when they're doing what you want, don't think, oh, thank the Lord, they've gone to sleep. <laughs> yes. um, you know, it's actually about, well, yeah, well done, good, 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 good. just, you know, give you a little scratch or just, you know. So I think, I think we're also, we're not humans, actually. We're not very good at rewarding good behaviour. Yeah. We're very good at getting a little bit sniffy or ratty or angry at bad behavior, but we're not very good at rewarding. And that's how you have successful relationships with dogs. And I actually think that's one of the key things that dogs can teach humans. I think that's one of the great skills of if you're, I think if you're a dog owner and certainly a dog trainer and behaviorist, you do get better at rewarding the good stuff in everybody, not just the dogs, yeah. but in your, in your partners, in your children, in your friends, um, we're much better at looking for the good and rewarding it rather than getting really ratty when we see the stuff we don't want. Yeah, yeah. And it takes, you know, certainly in my, in my experience, it takes a while to get there. You know, I knew about positivity with Buddy and Star and we were positive with them, but I've learned so much more. And with Mischief, we've put that into action. That exactly what you're saying about looking for good behaviour. And I'm not actually training here, but you've just sat down nicely mm. or you've just ignored this or you've just noticed this or you've, mm. you know, you didn't you didn't eat my slippers even though I nipped to the loo and I left them there or whatever it is. Have yeah. a treat, you know. And she is so positive. She just looks at you full of, what's going to happen now? There's no inkling in her little mind that anything bad is going to come from yeah. us. You know, it's just... And, and and the other thing we did with her was, you know, when you train a leave and you sort of um, offer something in reward and and so the dog can, I mean, and with, with Buddy and Sal, we did that and we could say to them, what have you got? And they would drop whatever it was. And then we could say, okay, you can have it back or, and they would pick it up and go off with it happily. Or we could say, no, I'm going to take that off you, but I'm going to give you this lovely treat. Great. Mischief has taken it a step further and she's gone. I will open my mouth and drop the thing on the floor and you can see it. 
but then I want the treat as well. But you know, if I have the thing back, I want the treat. And she will actually go around the house and we, we actually do eat one or two sweets. And occasionally sweet papers get onto the floor. So she will go and get sweet papers off the floor and bring them to us and put them in front of us and sit down and look at us like, look what I did. I need a treat now. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, but that's the things like that is part of the joy of living with dogs. Yes, it's yeah. Part of, it's part of the joy of starting to look for the good stuff and rewarding it so it gets repeated. So you do have a dog with that mindset. Who you do have a dog who isn't frightened to explore or to do things, and that's when you can start to really train some really advanced behaviours. Um, because a lot of the time you want a dog who will go and explore and oh, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to put a paw on it? Do you want me to pick it up? Do you want me to do that? And you've got so many more choices that you can reward so you can actually really get your training to an incredibly advanced level using that thing of just rewarding the good all the time and looking for the good all the time as you just said if your dog does a sit automatically don't just you know not notice go wow oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna reward you for that we we have to remember that not only are we building a relationship, but we're building a relationship with another being who doesn't speak the same language as we do. Yes. And so we have to be clear in the, wow, that was brilliant. You are really, really good. I'm so happy um, language. And we can only do that just by watching them and interacting with them and being aware that that relationship is switched on all the time. There isn't an off switch on it. Yeah, absolutely. And Sometimes the uh, the positive methods, I think, are viewed as sort of airy fairy, slow, ineffective, and nothing could be further from the truth. And I think if you live with a dog that you've you've used positive methods with, you can see that, as you say, the huge advantages. First of all, the dog's happy. We don't get a, a dog to make them unhappy. You know, we we want the dog to be happy, and they're willing to take a chance and try a different behaviour, as you say, and and show you things, and they're not terrified that you're going to be horrible or shout or you know do anything worse even um because that's not the relationship the relationship is you've done something good have a have a treat and the worst thing that can happen is i didn't actually notice so you didn't get the treat and and uh, missy will go into the garden like when she when she poos and pees in the garden she will actually look to see that you're watching so she knows she will get the treat for it it's pretty but but it goes i mean it goes deeper than that we 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 look on it uh, on that level but then one of the things we can forget that we're doing is what we're actually doing when we're rewarding our dogs. We're working with emotions. We're working with our emotions. Um, and the positive reinforcement, the treat, you're making the dog feel happy. You're giving them happiness, joy. You're giving them positive emotions. Whereas if you punish a dog for doing things that you don't want them to do, then what you're doing is you are, whatever way you punish them, if they perceive it as a punishment, you are, it, it's a negative emotion. It's mm. fear, it's worry, it's concern, whatever it is. And as behaviorists, we know that the majority of behavior problems come out of those negative emotions. Normally, fears, frustrations, um, the majority of um, dog to human aggressions come originally from fear, fear of hands or fear of touch or fear of strange humans. Um, the majority of dog to dog issues arise and have their roots in fear of strange dogs, whether it's lack of socialization or whether it's just you've been jumped on too many times. Um, noise phobias, fear of strange sounds. Nearly all the behavior problems 
come from a negative emotion. And as a behaviorist, what you try to do is, as I said earlier on, how are you feeling in this situation and how can I make you feel better? So what we're trying to do is give those situations a positive emotion so they don't have to show that behavior or so they can slowly learn not to show that behavior. So rather than saying positive is all airy-fairy, Actually, it's not. Mm, what we're mm. doing is we're actually dealing with the roots of the problem, which is how the dog feels. Yeah. We only do things because of the way that we feel. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, when we when we finish this conversation, I'm probably going to go and have some food because I'm feeling hungry. I'm feeling nutritional frustration. It's a slightly negative emotion. So I'm going to go and self-reward with something out of the fridge um, to make myself feel happy. And that's what that's what we do. Yeah. Um, anytime we're feeling negative emotions, we try to think, right, what can I do to make myself feel, feel positive, to make me feel good again? And that's what we're doing when we're working with positive reinforcement and using positive reward methods with dogs. What we're trying to say is, it's, it's not, I'm going to stop you doing that thing um, that, that I don't want you to do, because that doesn't deal with the reason why the dog's doing it. Mm. The dog will still find something else to do that you don't want them to do. You've just punished them for doing one particular thing. Um, what we're doing is we're going to change the way you feel about this thing so you don't have to do it. And we're going to do it by finding ways to make you feel happy and make you feel better in this situation. So what we're actually going to do is deal with the root of the problem. We're not just going to mask the symptom, which is what punishment does. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, you could... Uh, you know, I'm just thinking when I, when I'm miserable and if I, and I cry or whatever, if somebody was horrible enough to me, then yeah, I probably would sit there and not cry and keep it in and I'd be a gibbering wreck. I wouldn't be happy. I'd be quiet, but I would have shut down in the way a dog can. And that's, that's a horrible thing for a dog or a person to have to live with fear. And we don't want that for, for anyone. Um, so saying that we don't want our dogs to live with, with fear. How do we spot the signs? You know, whether we're meeting, meeting other dogs outside or we're in the house or whatever the situation is, how do we spot those signs from our dog that they're not happy? There's all, there's all kinds of ways to spot them. I mean, first of all, we're, we're a verbal species. Um, you and me more than most, but <laughs> agreed. <laughs> We're a verbal species, so when we feel something, we talk about it. Um, so we'll tend to say, you know, that that thing you did, I wasn't very comfortable about that, or please don't do that because that's stressing me out a little bit. So we tend to talk. Um, dogs use body language, and as far as they're concerned, they're talking just as loudly as we are, um, but they they use they use body language. So one of the things that you see a lot, I was saying earlier about look at photos on Facebook of small children cuddling dogs and then you'll see these really really clearly you'll see dogs just doing things like yawning or licking their lips and I mean yeah okay dogs yawn when they're tired or they've just woken up and they lick their lips when they've just had a treat but if those uh, if that stimuli isn't there then you can say okay I'm just seeing low level symptoms that my dog's a little bit stressed so just yawning there for no reason or he's just licking his lips a bit or I can just see the white of his eye there, or I'm just seeing slight wrinkling across his forehead there. Um, and because I'm a really observant dog owner, I know that I, could, I should take my dog away from this situation before they feel they have to escalate that. And that's very much in the low level kind of, you know, I'm just not feeling comfortable. I could really do with not being in this situation. Um, and dogs... The next stage for dogs, it was it was Snoopy, another dog who said, there's no problem too big that I can't run away from it. Mm. And 
that's a, that's a dog's next instinct will either be to remove themselves if they can't physically do it by turning their eyes away or their head away and physically if they can they'll just walk away um one of the reasons why we quite often see dogs who are fine with other dogs getting a bit grumpy when they're on lead or being reactive when they're on lead is they don't have that opportunity to move away Mm. um and actually, they don't have the opportunity to show natural body language. Because if you watch dogs meet, meet, meeting each other, they'll come, they'll come three quarters onto each other. They'll do little circles round. They'll approach and retreat and approach and retreat and go and have a little bit of a bottom sniff. And they'll do all these kind of things, all of which are prevented when the dog's on lead. So mm. it's a false, it's a false, I say, and, and they're having a conversation in exactly the same way as we would have a conversation. But they can't, it's like suddenly they're not talking the same language anymore and they've got no idea of what the intent of the other dog is. Um, And so quite often I basically say to people, dogs should not meet, strange dogs should not meet on lead ever Mm. because they cannot show natural body language. In other words, they can't have a communicate, they can't have a conversation mm-hmm. um, and they can't understand each other. So, um, so we see those, we see those kinds of things. And the other thing is owners know, um, owners have a, you know, owners will always say, oh yeah, I knew he was going to be a bit funny with that dog. Well, mm-hmm. why did you let him go up to them? Um, <laughs> yes. So it, it's, it's about looking at those body language clues. And then, I mean, after, after the moving away, you'll see things like, you know, really, really tightly tucked tails, or the opposite, which you quite often see in terriers and in, in some um, just slightly more high arousal type dogs, is you'll see them wagging the tail, but it's a very high, stiff tail wag. Mm. Uh, and everybody says, oh, you know, he's, he's really happy, he's wagging his tail. No, trust me, he's not. He's really, really not happy. Yeah. Um, and then you go on to other signs like being completely and utterly still and not moving. Or, in, interestingly, in dogs, quite often like, labradors but also in spaniels you'll get the goof about behavior mm. which is i'll suddenly just be really really silly i'm just going to do something really inappropriate i'm going to run around circles or i'm going to do something really really silly and it's just to break the stress it's just that whole you know i'm just you know i'm, I'm, I'm really silly me don't, don't hurt me don't touch me mm. um and then it's only after about that period that we start to get vocalized um signs so growling and that's so far up the dog's language you know, the dog's given you so many warnings by that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time the dog actually has to vocalise, which quite often is the first thing the owner actually notices, they're actually seriously uncomfortable. Um, so we get we get lots we get lots of clues from dogs. But one of the big ways you can tell if your dog's uncomfortable is just watch what they do when they're happy. Watch what they do when they're interacting with you. Watch what they do when they're relaxed. Look at where they carry their tail. Look at how they have their ears. Look at what their eyes look like. Do they pant or not? Do they, you know, do they have their tongue out? Um, just look at how your dog is when they're happy and relaxed. So you can see really, really clearly if that changes, if any of that changes. If you suddenly go, oh, you know, he's, he's wagging his tail a bit odd. I've not seen that before. Or, mm-hmm. oh, he's really holding his ears back there. He doesn't normally do that. Uh, it, it's about... It's about building a relationship, and you can't build a relationship if you're the only one talking. Yeah, uh, you have to listen to what your dog's saying to you as well. And if you know what, how your dog is when they're happy and relaxed, and you know, really, really content, then you're going to notice. It's going to scream out to you when they do something else. Um, 
but it's back to looking at your dog, yes. not ever forgetting that your dog is an emotional, thinking, feeling creature. And that can change. What mood they're in today might not be the same mood they're in tomorrow, even though as far as you know, everything else is the same. You're not inside your dog. The only person that knows how your dog's feeling is your dog. Mm. Um, so, you know, don't expect that what they were happy with yesterday, they might be happy with today. Always look at your dog. Yeah. Um, and that that that's that's the most important thing. Remember, this is a relationship. You've not just bought a car or a computer. Um, you, you know, it's, it's about building a relationship, and that it does mean communication, knowing how they're feeling, caring about how they're feeling. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I, think that's a bit, I mean, my, my my favorite one of this week was I was I was out again. I was in the supermarket. I came out of the supermarket and there was a woman with a with a puppy, um, probably pointer type puppy, probably cross, who was all bouncy. And as I walked past, puppy launched itself on me. Mm. Um, and I wasn't going to ignore puppy because puppy was so cute. <laughs> um, I bent down and, and did a little scratchy ears and she said, "Oh, I'm so sorry for him jumping at you." I said, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He's got a mind of his own. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah, he really has. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and somehow people, this seems to take people by surprise. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, dogs, dogs have as rich an emotional life as we do. And dear God, so when we think of what goes on in our heads half the time, when we're thinking about other things and when we're maybe a bit distracted or maybe, you know, we've slept a bit odd and we've got a sore sore shoulder or something like that and we're just a little bit grumpy or we're really excited about stuff. We're not the same day to day. So why do we expect our dogs to be better than us or different to us? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all about building relationships. Yeah. Absolutely. And definitely. education. Education. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, sometimes I think we disregard some things that dogs do because we don't understand why. So, for example, with Buddy, he would sometimes just see somebody. We'd be on our walk, going down the pavement, and he would see somebody and he would just lie down and go, I want to wait here and I want to meet that person. And I had no, and it was embarrassing. <laughs> and I'd have no clue why this particular person was of such interest to him. But it, it was, and he insists on meeting some people. And I just had no idea why. And so I, you know, I had to live with it. Um, but I didn't know why. So I kind of... I, well, I mean, it's, when, you, when you start work as a behaviourist, which for me was rather a long time ago, um, you start off by feeling you have to explain to owners every single thing their dog does and why they do it. Um, I have now got to the stage that I will just go, yeah, that's interesting. Don't, <laughs> don't know why he does that. You know, I mean, if it's not worrying the owner and it's not dangerous or anything like that, a lot of the time you'll just go, yeah, that is just something your dog does. Yeah. I can't explain why. I can't ask him. Um, you know, say it's not a problem. It's not a problem behaviour. No, sorry, I don't know why your dog does whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, sits, turns two circles in the front room at six o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> sorry, I, I really, really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it's back to individuals. Yes. There's times people will do things and you go, what on earth did you do that for? That was really stupid. Um, and sometimes they can explain it, sometimes they can't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, but it's also about pick, picking, not picking your battles. That's not quite the right way. But I think you said it earlier on. You look at what we can live with with our dogs. Yeah. Um, what we want to live with uh, and forget about 
forget about the image that you have of the perfect dog that hangs on your every word and does every single thing you say to them every single second um, and that will do all the things you have in your head that you want to do with your dog. Um, forget about that because that doesn't exist. That exists in Hollywood and Lassie films. Um, it's about looking at the dog in front of you, thinking, how can I give you the very, very best life? How can I make you the very best whatever you are, whether you're a cockapoo or a retriever or a chihuahua or a Yorkshire Terrier, whatever you are, how can I make you the very, very best Yorkshire Terrier, whatever that you possibly can be? And how can you fit into my life and my family and be the canine best friend that I dreamt of? I mean, if I look around at my friends, my human friends, I've got all kinds of oddballs and weirdos in my friends list. Um, <laughs> and... You know, we have fun and we laugh together and we're, we're, we're the greatest of friends. If I was asked to do a sort of blueprint of what the perfect friend would be, I don't think anyone would have made it onto, you know, past page 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's looking, at, it's looking at the dog in front of you, enjoying the dog in front of you, changing the things that you can't live with, um, but just listening and looking at the dog in front of you but it all comes back to education I and mean, it's why yeah. it's why it's why com. we did this we did this survey because we wanted to see is there actually a huge big issue out there do we have rampaging dogs all over the place threatening people and other dogs um and actually we kind of don't as i say 55 percent of people said that they didn't think behavior had got any worse um interestingly for those who thought behavior had got worse what was really funny was or i found it quite funny was that the majority the largest group of dogs that people thought were problematic were adult small dogs tiny dogs yes i I Uh, saw that it's not not the dogs that the breeds everybody thinks is going to be really problematic it's the little ones and i wonder if it's just because they're getting jumped on by all the Mm. (laughs) out of control don't worry he's friendly brigade and they're just going you know what actually i've had enough i'm really tiny this is scary i'm I'm gonna have a little bit of a chump here so i mean i think the statistics are a great thing and so that's why i mean we put together a really really good on on the tales.com website we put together a series of blogs to help people first of all educate children and educate parents then also how to educate dog owners and what they should do if they're worried that their dog might be a problem because as we said earlier nobody wants their dog to be a problem they just don't always know what to do about it yes and the first thing to do about it is the minute you think it's a problem just find a professional either trainer or behaviorist um generally if they're not doing the things you want you need a trainer and if they're doing the things you don't want then you need a behaviorist that's (laughs) simplifying it a little bit but that's not far off and go early we love that we yes. love when people say, I'm, I'm not sure if I should worry about this, but he's just doing this little thing as opposed to he's been doing this huge big thing for the last six months, which is when we kind of head in hands type stuff. Yeah. Um, so seek advice early. And so we've, we've got all of that on the on the, um, the tales.com website just to try and educate people um, and just to get people back to thinking that dogs are dogs they're not tiny humans in fur coats yeah they're not computers or cars that just follow the manual um isn't it great that you get to build a relationship with a thinking feeling different species i mean how fantastic is that mm. um and dogs teach us dogs teach us so much i mean it's really easy to kind of say we need to protect our children from, from dog bites 
But the advantages to children to growing up with dogs is just incredible. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, you, you learn empathy for another being. You learn responsibility. You've got a better immune system. You get better, you're better um, exercised. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits to children from growing up with dogs. Um, I mean, yeah. oh, my, my childhood dogs kept me sane, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and quite often a dog is a child's confidant in a way that parents aren't and, and other, other children aren't. So, I mean, there's so many benefits to growing up with dogs. It just needs, it just needs to be managed a little bit. But, yeah, I, I always just come back to I, I look at this research from Tales.com and I still just come back to the fact of dogs are just amazing. We are so lucky to have them. We just need to make them feel lucky to have us. Absolutely. Abs- I couldn't have put it better. I absolutely agree with that. Because it's that, that's the saying in the show world, isn't it, that you take the best dog home. But the trick yeah. is, is the dog taking the best human home? You know, that's know, the trick. I'd love to hear the conversation that dogs would actually have if they had those kinds of at, at crush, you know, it's like, what's yours doing? Mm refreshments again oh yeah right okay well she'll be tripping up in the room won't she yeah envy of that one yeah i mean it's very it's very very true um yeah i think rather than saying you know it's, it's yeah we take the best dog home but do they really want to take us home yes yeah absolutely so i mean you've told us there's lots of resources at tales.com that can help us get on the road right road with our dog and understand our dog and and as you say take that first step to if you need help get help you you're not you won't be telling a trainer or behaviorist anything they haven't heard before and and oh, that's trust me. yeah yeah that's <laughs> one, no no that's one of the things i love about dog training classes that as well as the, the training is great, but it's that bit where you all sit down and have a really good moan, but also you all know that you love your dog the most in the world. And so you're having a moan because, it, you know, there are, are hard bits, but that you appreciate them absolutely. And as you say, they are wonderful. But that sharing of, well, is your dog doing this? Yes, they are. And you think, all oh, right, okay, so I, I, it's not just a me thing. It's not just a my dog thing. It's just, you know, something that happens when you live with dogs. And I love that support that yeah, you get at so. training. I think one of the things we've lost through not having training classes and puppy classes and things that we've we've lost that kind of critical eye where you're you're, you're kind of left thinking is my dog normal yes is this, is this what dogs do and if you go to a training class or say socialization class you realize that yeah it's completely normal that's what everybody's doing um because you can come you can compare um, which you can't, you haven't been able to do during lockdowns. Yeah. And I think a lot of owners have felt very, very isolated because here they are with this possibly first time dog, or certainly first time dog for a while. Um, puppies are hard work anyway, yes. and they've yeah. had and they've had no support network and no one to say, "Am I doing this? Am I doing this right? Is this is this normal? Is my puppy abnormal? Am I getting it wrong?" All those things. A trainer would just go, "No, you're actually fine. Carry yes. on." Just, you know. Um, so, but so, yeah. I mean, that would be one of the things I would I would say: seek help as soon as you think you might need it, yeah. um, before you might need it, even. So, yeah, I, it's. I, I think that's where lockdown has been and COVID's been very, very difficult for people. They just haven't had that support network. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's, it's been horrible in in many, many ways. Awful. Um, it, it's been a wonderful talking to you. Where can people find out more about you? Oh, me. Yes, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there's the website um, or Facebook. I mean, Facebook, I tend to, everything that I'm doing tends to end up turning up on Facebook, um, which is obviously just Carolyn and T. Um, and I, I, 
my mother's on there, so don't be rude. Um, <laughs> I have my website, which is dogtalk.co.uk. Um, and I turn up all over the place. And obviously I'm doing work with, I'm doing work with various organisations at the moment, but with this survey, working with Tales, Tales.com have been great because they've recognised that they want to give people good behaviour advice as well. They've got a brilliant vet who works with them, Sean, who is just glorious. He's amazing. Um, and he gives all the veterinary advice, but they've also brought me on to give behavior and training advice as well. So it's not just about having a tailor-made pet food delivered to your door. We're also going to try and just help dog owners give good information. And we also do silly stuff. I mean, what you just said earlier, Sean and I did a very, very long podcast because they tend to go on because as I'm sure you can imagine. And I, the title of it was My Dog the Weirdo. And it literally <laughs> was just people going, My dog does this and it was me and Sean going yeah that's weird <laughs> <laughs> excellent that's life with dogs though isn't it? I think it's important that we we tell the truth you know there's a lot of life with a dog is behind closed doors and you, you think I can remember little things like giving them a choice years ago letting them choose you know or opening the door and saying do you want to go to the toilet what is it you want and trying to figure out what they wanted and I, I wouldn't have told people that but I think it is important that we do share the embarrassing bits of dog ownership because that is the truth of life with a with a dog isn't it yeah, I mean, my, I, I had a, basically a Polish leather sheepdog who I taught to do endless number of tricks. I mean, he could do more tricks than, I mean, you know, a, a huge number of tricks. And I decided it would be a really cute trick to teach him when I threw some paper on the floor when I was working, that he would pick it up and go and put it in the bin. And I thought this would be a really, really cute trick. And so I taught him to do it, and we did it, and we did it, and we did it. And he was just an absolute expert at it. But I don't quite know what went on in his little doggy brain. I don't know whether this was he just hadn't quite generalised what I wanted or whether he had a really evil sense of humour. And I'm not quite sure which way it went. But he obviously in his little doggy brain once thought, oh, she wants things putting in other things. <laughs> That's interesting. So he went through a, a phase of getting my dirty laundry, generally my knickers, out of the washing and stuffing them in the toilet. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, no. bless him. You see, yeah, Exactly. And I had to laugh at that. And that at the time was a story that I didn't particularly tell anyone. But now I'm actually, I'm kind of thinking, I'm really fascinated by that. Was it that the behaviour wasn't generalised enough? Or was that just (laughs) rubbing his paws together going, I'll I'll, I'll teach you. (laughs) He was trying to wash them. There was water there. He uh, he thought, you know, you want them washed, I'll I'll put them in the water for you. The washing machine would have killed him. Well, <laughs> okay, he didn't get it all the way, but you know that deserves a click. He's going in the right direction. That's oh, the whole thing. God, 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 I'm going to have to reward that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you raised an important an important point there about tales.com that there is expert opinion expert advice going into that site because the, the you know the internet is awash with some dreadful advice, but Ooh. tales.com. And, and yeah. obviously your dogtalk.co.uk will give you good advice, won't it? Yeah, they will. And I, what, there's another really, really good resource at the moment that I'm also working with I can recommend to puppy owners, which is a it's an, it's an app. And I think it's on iPhone and it's on Android. And it started off to help puppy owners through lockdown hmm. because we suddenly realised that people weren't being able to get to classes and things in the same way. But actually it's taken on a life of its own and it's gone, it's, it, it's gone feral. Um, <laughs> It's gone international with something uh, with more downloads than I can possibly imagine. And it's called ZigZag. Hmm. Um, 
don't know why it's called zigzag. I wasn't involved in naming it, but actually it seems to be something that sticks in people's minds. And it's an absolute brilliant app that is just really, really, really good fun. But it goes through all the development of puppies and what they're thinking and feeling and what stages of the development are at and what fun things you can do with them and what life skills you can teach them at that age and what things you can do to prevent behaviour problems like noise phobias and things like that. So that's also a really, really good resource for people if they just want to know that they're on the right lines um and it's fun uh so that's another really good resource that i've been working at at the moment and also for my sins i seem to be the chair of the uk dog behavior and training charter group which is nine training and behavior organizations who are all working together to first of all to try and push towards industry regulation because as you know behaviorist is not a Mm. protected title or as trainer anybody could say that they're a behaviorist um but also to give the public trusted people to go to we're not saying that there aren't good people outside of those nine organizations but what we are saying is those nine organizations give oversight so they make sure people are trained and insured and that they've uh, that they're accredited that they can do all the things they can say they do and that there's oversight on that as well so that's also a good place for people to go if they're looking for a trainer or looking for a behaviorist and we've got some brilliant people and their organisations as part of the charter group, including Steve Mann and Victoria Stilwell, and I mean, some of you know some of the, the big organisations, OPDT. Mm-hmm. So I, I I I chair that, um, which is which is actually really quite fun because I probably shouldn't be saying this in a forum where people are going to listen to it, but <laughs> never mind. Um, Behaviour and training organisations in the past haven't generally played nice together very well. Mm. Um, they tend to, you know, when we, when we get together at conferences, all congregate in different corners of the room and pick up the furniture. Um, so we've, got, we've now got nine organisations all working together, all for exactly the same thing, which is to improve the standards of training and behaviour and giving the public, who now have 12.5 million dogs, a, a choice of really, really good professionals, whether that's for training or for behaviour, that they know can be trusted. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I, it's kind of keeping me busy, to be honest. <laughs> it sounds like it, yes, yeah. I mean, I, you say that's fun, I imagine it is, but I always think if two trainers agree on too much, take their temperatures because one of them is terribly ill, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. <laughs> Well, the, the other way of putting it is if you get three behaviorists or, or three trainers in the same room, the only thing two of them can ever agree on is that the other one's doing it wrong. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, it's, a force, it's a force for good. I like it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and, and that has been, we, we, we've kind of, I mean, that, that was our starting point when we formed the charter group was just to say, okay, we've not played nice together, but actually we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. no one organisation can fulfil the needs of all the dog owners. I mean, a third of households in the UK have a dog now. Wow. Um, there is no one organisation that can fulfil the needs to help them. So we need to work together because, as you've said, there's very, very bad advice out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's on the internet, um, really bad, and some of it being inhumane. Um, and you hear nightmare stories of people that have gone to trainers or behaviourists and been told to do some horrific things with their dogs. Yes. And so we we recognise that we do have to work together, uh, that we ag- we all agree on 95 98% yes. of what we're doing. It's just that tiny little 2% that we might go, oh, well, we wouldn't do it that way. Yes. Um, yeah. And so we're all sitting around ignoring the 2% and going, well, okay, that's, that's just your... 
quirky way of doing it, but <laughs> let's, look at, let's look at the 98% that we agree on. Carolyn's advice is always spot on. Thanks to her for sharing her expertise with us. If you're having a problem with any aspect of life with your dog, help is available. And a great place to start is Carolyn's website or the Tales website, both of which we have links to on the Dogcast Radio website, which is another great resource for dog owners. Our next podcast will be out very early next year and we'll examine how we make sure we are able to meet our dog's needs. I'm sitting here beside my Christmas tree recording this. Are you listening beside yours? Where are you listening? Are you poolside in the sun? Are you on a dog walk? Are you in an armchair? Send me a photo. You can post on our socials, or if you're shy, send me an email. I'll email you back. Saying that, I do reply to every email, message, or comment we get. It sometimes takes a while, but I do reply. And I love your feedback. I remember, back in episode 8, featuring listener Sarah, who had taught her dog to sneeze on command. She was in our December 2005 episode, and when her family got together for Christmas, they all gathered round the computer to listen. And when she told me that, it was the first time I realised that as well as being a lot of work for me, and a lot of fun and enjoyment as well, of course, that the real point of a podcast is the listening to it, the listeners, and that Dogcast Radio was touching lives, connecting and empowering people, and helping dogs lead happier, healthier lives. 16 years later, I hope we're still doing the same. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, may a safe new year and just a really great day be yours. 2022, please be kind. That's all we have time for. So until next time, and indeed, until next year, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www dogcastradio.com that's d-o-g-c-a-s-t radio.com if you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world we'd love to hear from you you can do so in a variety of ways by phone from the UK you can contact us on 0121-288-0922 from the US you can contact us on our American number which is 315 2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 441212880922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at DogcastRadio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you call a dog who loves Christmas? Feliz Navidad. <laughs> Jen, Jen, it could be Fleas Navidad. Fleas, get it? You know what? I've-
I've lost my voice. I've just got it back. You had the whole of the podcast. All I get is the joke, and you want to steal the punchline. Sorry. Are you you serious right now? You know what? You know what? No, we're going to do it again. We're going to have another joke, okay? Okay? Is that okay? That's that's, that's fine. Will you sit there in silence? No, no, I'll go over here. Or will you talk over it again? No, I'll go in the other way. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. What do you call a Christmas show dog? Best in snow. What does a dog say when they hate Christmas? Bar humpug. Why did Santa get the dog extra presents? Because he had a rough year. Why did Santa get the dog all rainbow gifts? Because he loves collars. That joke may work better with an American accent and and collars, but I can't do an American accent and I'm out of jokes. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. (laughs) 